0: You don't want to start? Come on. I never Liz. know. Come you know how you on, always on. start. No, no, I want to. No, Liz, I refuse. I'm going on silent strike. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Speak. Okay. Yes. Part three today happening, long awaited. See, my intros suck. I can't. That I don't wasn't even know. what?
0: That was barely English. <laughs> Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me, let's, let's, let's let, uh, I'm taking my shirt off for this.
1: No, we're video chatting. Don't take your shirt off.
0: uh, How do you like that? Look, make me full screen. So, (laughs) welcome to part three. I know many of you have been asking. Many of you have been emailing Patreon messaging, which I just realized was a thing. So, I'm sorry that there's many hundreds in there. Just send us an email or something. Sorry. Uh... And asking us, where's part three? Well, uh, we have it. In fact, we have it right now.
1: Good. That was so much better.
0: Okay, so well, I was waiting for you to jump in. I'm looking at your face, and I can see. That I was you're not taking doing a it.
1: screenshot of you not rub- you rubbing oh, yourself.
0: My fucking- no, dude, I'm rubbing <laughs> the ingrown hair because it itches, dude. I'm not. These aren't my my nipples are right here. Here
1: you can see them. I'll put it as close to the camera. No, as possible. I'm fine. I don't need to see those.
0: Oh, you're fine now that you saw them. <laughs> I got a hairy chest. I want to say that. And Liz is, Liz is captivated by it right now. Um,
1: we are, I'm so excited. This is, this I'm is I'm so be, excited. This I'm is, we be a long one. F- I mean, you know, this is my shit.
0: hmm
1: This is mm-hmm. my, tin, this is, uh, this is where I shine from all the tinfoil that I am wearing on my head. So I want to be
0: clear that 9-11 was an occult blood ritual. <laughs> uh, done by various demons and and uh goblins um which I mean in a normal way uh in order to summon the ultimate power, which was the ability to invade iraq mm-hmm.
1: yeah i okay, so we have a really extra long extra special episode interview here with our mm-hmm. with our friend ben um who's coming back to Mansplain all the different all the things that went awry on the day of 9 11 And I hope that we're gonna include some links with the episode, but I hope that you guys, you know, truthers get a bad rap. The truther community gets a bad rap. And if you're not if you have never perhaps entertained some of these ideas, like, you know, open your third eye, keep your mind open because I don't think we're talking quackery. Like this is all very reasonable, understandable stuff.
0: I I just want to say like, think of who is telling you to think of like people who question the official nine 11 story as, as, as wackos. And then also think like, if you're listening to this podcast uh, then you've pretty much already accepted that there was a giant, uh, pedophile ring being run by like (laughs) some of the most famous and powerful people in the world. Um, I think you should maybe be like, yeah, I think these people are also capable of, of flying some planes into some buildings so that they could get everything they ever wanted.
1: And had been planning since the 80s.
0: Exactly. So I, I just want to say, keep an. I mean, I, I, as you guys know that I'm the most dogmatic man in history, but I even I'm saying here, keep an open mind.
1: Yeah. So also, you got plenty of time on your hands now with quarantine, and it sounds to me like it's the perfect time to get into... If there, was ever, Truth-er-ism. If, there
0: was, if there was ever a time to watch a four and a half hour documentary about how 9-11 was an inside job, that time is now.
1: <laughs> so without further ado, let's I was the about show to on say the say road.
0: That. Really? All right, well, let's introduce- Wait, we- Liz, Liz, Liz. Oh, I'm just so excited. Ourselves. We have to okay. introduce ourselves. My name is Paul Wolfowitz. No relation. No, my name is Brace Belden. I'm joined here by- Liz, that's and me. A- and of course, uh, of course we are we are produced by Muhammad At. I mean excuse me, Young Chomsky. <laughs> uh, and this is Truanon. And this is 9 Bush did 9-11, part three.
2: I'll see you next fall another gun show I'll call the day before like usual but
0: I, I well so welcome to the long-awaited part three excuse me tower three <laughs> <laughs> episode of the true anon 911 uh, uh, fandango I should have thought of a better word for that before I started that sentence. With with our our guest, Mister Ben. Ben, how are you doing?
3: I'm doing all right. How are you guys? I'm good. How's quarantine? Quarantine's quarantine's going all right. You know, the days are blending together, but it's it's all right. You know.
0: I've been enjoying your uh, your your nature
3: videos. Yes. I've been yeah. There's a great path behind. There's lots of turkeys and deer around. It's great. I, I saw I'm, the deer. The it. deer
1: you posted were looking very. They're looking very handsome. Oh yeah, and they're
3: you, doing
0: great. Very fast turkey as well. That video was astounding.
1: Are
3: you? Yeah. Have you gone full prepper? Oh, our whole house is every possible space is full of canned beans <laughs> and uh, paper products. Yeah, it's we're we're fully prepped.
0: Love awesome. It. I would expect nothing less <laughs> uh, So, you know, I, I think you know why we called you here today, Ben Yes We need to talk about some of your friends <laughs> My co- Well,
1: we're not friends, we're colleagues Colleagues, colleagues, excuse <laughs> Co-workers. me Co-workers
0: Yeah, yeah. So we get on Zoom calls together once in a yeah. while Beyond that, there's no drinks or anything
1: Do you think, yeah. actually, side note, do you think they're doing Zoom calls? Do you think they're in quarantine?
3: I think, I think they're FaceTiming. I think they got that end-to-end encryption, you know? Yeah, yeah absolutely. True.
1: I actually have, we talked about this <laughs> on our
0: last episode, but I have wondered how, like, Kissinger, because he's so old, like, I wonder what his sort of, like, quarantine routine
3: is. Uh, yeah, I'm sure he's got a bunch of manservants in there, uh, lifting them up and, and moving them around.
0: Half of the people that we're about to talk about in this episode will be buried with their slaves and servants <laughs> who will serve them <laughs> in the afterlife.
3: Yeah. So it's,
0: yeah. it's, yeah.
1: Yeah. Wait, so where we we left off in our series, it was a little while ago, so we had kind of like talked about the prelude to 9-11 being about 40 years of U.S. foreign policy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, To kind of like position the actual events of 9-11, I think you put it this way when it was such a great way to think of it, like as a continuation rather than interruption, Right, but we never, and then, and then we kind of went into the anthrax attacks because that was a real—that's a really important story for people to understand. That kind of doesn't get told enough in this as we kind of get into the story. But today we're talking about the main event, mm-hmm. which is the actual—you know—the the show that everyone kind of came to see. I guess the actual events of, of September eleventh, yep. two thousand one. In case you forgot, but you didn't rule.
0: And much <laughs> like a, much like the stage plays of yore, I think we should go down a little cast of characters first for mm. at least on the, on, on a certain level, uh, to see kind of where everybody was that day. Right. Cause I think many people remember George Bush famously was reading a, uh, a book to some school children, uh, <laughs> when a, when a, one of his humble aides whispered in his ear and, uh, alerted him that, that, uh, that the plan was
1: working. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. What was the book called? I forgot. It was, um, isn't it like something about a goat?
3: Oh yeah. A goat or a pig or animal. I can't
1: remember. It was like a a lovely bunch of school children Mm -hmm. in Sarasota, Florida.
0: Um, but surprisingly few people were in the white house that day. Right. I mean, it seems like basically, no, it's funny, actually, Neil Bush, George Bush's brother, and his father uh, were, were, were both staying in the White House, but very few other people were, I think, except for uh, supposedly Cheney and Condoleezza Rice. But basically, everyone else was gone. Colin Powell was down in Lima, Peru. Ashcroft was on his way to Milwaukee. Uh, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, this guy, Henry Shelton, was on his way to Hungary. For, like, a, I think it was a NATO meeting, but the, his trip was actually supposed to culminate in him being knighted by the Queen of England, um, mm. which is love it. Uh, FEMA director Joe Albo is in uh, Montana. Uh, Rumsfeld, of course, uh, well, we'll get to Rumsfeld, but supposedly ensconced in the bosom of the Pentagon. Robert Mueller uh, was preparing his case against Donald Trump. In the uh, you know, uh, FBI head, he is in the FBI offices.
1: Yeah, TBT, just in case our listeners forget, Robert Mueller, famed, resistant, alpha male, man of your dreams, was actually FBI director for the Bush admin. <laughs>
0: uh, and and sweet little Norman Mineta, uh, Secretary <laughs> of Tran- <laughs> Trans- Transportation, was in his office, uh, with Richard Clark also in his. And that's, that's where we start, right? Cheney had quite a day, guys.
1: Yeah, it's a little confusing what day he had, actually, which we'll, which I think we should get into. So yeah. basically, um, you know, one of the things to understand about, like, or as we try to kind of piece together an accurate timeline of what happened, which is actually surprisingly complicated, it's like important for us to kind of track where these people were and what they were doing. And kind of like we mentioned, it's really hard to get a read on particularly two people, Dick Cheney and Donald Rumsfeld, obviously the most trustworthy guys in the admin. Mm-hmm. And if you had listened to you know our previous episodes about 9-11, you will remember these guys because they are big figures in also daddy Bush's admin and have been key power players in Middle East foreign policy for, I don't know, 35, 40 years at this point.
3: Yeah, definitely. I'm going back to Ford.
1: Yeah. So one of the big things is that the, there's a couple discrepancies about where exactly Cheney was and how he came to learn about the nine 11 attacks There's like an account that was settled by the commission report, then there's other versions that his secretaries say. But the general idea is that at some point, right after the first tower gets hit, which I believe is at 9.05 a.m., Somewhere around time? It's like, yeah, I think yep. it's 90, 905,
3: 903,
1: yeah. 905, something like that. I think it's
3: a 903, yeah.
1: 903. I want to get that precise because why
3: not? We're, we're oh, sorry. This, I think the second one was at 903. The first one, I think, was at 857, 840, yeah, 840 847, something
1: like that. Yeah, that sounds right. My bad. So, right after the second plane, it's the second plane that hits. He's allegedly gets transported out of the White House where he is and to a bunker. Um, can you do? You want to go into kind of like the different? There's a couple different stories that emerge here, and also a little confusing bits about what exactly this bunker is.
3: <laughs> yeah, so, there, so the bunker is the PEOC. Uh, it's the some I think it's the Presidential Executive Operations Center, something like that. Uh, but the, there, basically there are two different accounts, and the one that the commission went with is that basically after the second plane hit at about 9.03, uh, Cheney is just sort of hanging out in his office, uh, watching, according to him, watching TV. He said he was getting organized to figure out what to do, uh, and he only got evacuated about half an hour after, at about 9.36. Uh, and in, in the commission report story, that was connected with uh, them being concerned that Flight 93, uh, the one that crashed in Pennsylvania, was headed towards D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, that, is, that is the story that the commission went with. And then at some point, uh, he's, you know, he's in the tunnel, he takes a call with the president at some point, probably around 9.45, according to the commission's story, and then he gets into the bunker at about 10 in the morning. Uh, the problem is that there are a bunch of witnesses uh, who say that that's not what happened? Uh, you know, you have Richard Clark, who was the uh, counterterror czar, was with Cheney uh, at around the time that the second the second uh, tower was hit, and says that basically immediately when that happened, the Secret Service grabbed him and brought him down to the bunker. Uh, Bush's secretary also says that she saw it, Cheney being brought by Secret Service to the bunker at around that time. Uh, somebody else—I I can't remember. There was some other witness as well. I feel like
1: she said that he, they were, he was like physically picked up and carried. Yeah. So it was like something yes. you would remember seeing.
3: Totally, totally. That the that, that literally, and then Cheney said that as well. I mean, he he, and he's waffled on the story as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but his by both of his. Yeah, his accounts include him being lifted up and and basically being dragged there. And that's what Richard Clark says he saw as well. Uh, and then our, our man inside, Norman Mineta, mm-hmm. uh, says that Cheney got into the bunker uh, at about at 9... When Norman Mineta got into the bunker at 9.20 in the morning, Cheney was already there.
0: And uh, Norman Mineta is stuck by that story, too. Yeah,
3: absolutely. And that's the testimony he gave to the commission. It, he was under oath. I mean, you know, he... he yeah, that's a that's a wide 40 minutes is a very wide time frame to be off yes. and certainly obviously you would remember the vice president being there uh, particularly given there were multiple orders including uh minetta gave the order for all the planes to to, to be downed mm-hmm. uh that cheney gave his assent to that order uh and that was before 10 in the morning so uh, you know the idea that that Mineta would have misremembered that. It just doesn't make any
0: sense. It's absurd. Wow. Yeah, especially because you can, you know, that order was relayed to other people as well.
3: Right. Exactly. Exactly. So where and, did the
1: commission get the story?
3: Cheney changed it, and basically, uh, I believe it was in a Newsweek. So he gave the initial, the initial story he gave to Tim Russert, like not long after mm-hmm. uh, the attack, and the second story he gave to Newsweek. Uh, and it's also what he told the commission that it was much later that it was you know closer to this nine thirty five ish time frame. Uh, and it seems like he basically just decided to change his story completely. Uh, it's it's I, you know I have my own theories as to why they went with this story, um, but uh, that's, What's your that's theory? what happened. Well, there's this whole sequence of events where Cheney makes uh, multiple calls mm-hmm. in the tunnel. Um, David Ray Griffin and Peter Del Scott and others think that these were calls uh, that they didn't want other people. Because there's very extensive notes taken about everything, right? Every yeah. call that's made, every conversation that happens, there are people who are recording this information, taking notes, writing things down. Um, and there's, there's information, there's conversations that these people, for a variety of reasons, did not, I think, want other people to hear, So the I think that the the confusion comes from Cheney went or not even the confusion the intent the intentional misrepresentation of what happened comes from Cheney went into the tunnel to have these multiple conversations and then came from the tunnel back into the PEOC. Uh, So Mm -hmm. for example, I think there was certainly a call between Bush, Rumsfeld, and Cheney at around 9:45 somewhere Mm -hmm. in that time frame that that Cheney seems to have taken in the tunnel and then came back into the bunker after that.
0: So you're thinking, as he's like, okay, I'm going to duck out for a little bit to make a couple of, uh, let's say, off-the-record calls, come back in, and he couldn't really figure out a way to say that without saying that. And so right. he basically just changed his story to, to something that's unbelievable, but it's also it's difficult to call him on because everyone has a vested interest in not relaying the truth of that.
3: Right. And, of course, he and Bush were never called... To testify to the commission under oath, yes, and they, you know, so it's he he, he didn't stand. He wasn't going to perjure himself if he lied. Yeah. but yes, exactly. I think I think they they wanted to obscure the fact that these calls were made uh, outside of the normal communications channels. Uh, for example, there was a there was a big ongoing um, national military coordinating center, you know, conference call that was mm-hmm. going on where the secretary of defense and Cheney and all these other people were coordinating the air defense response and all the other things that were happening. And these calls were occurring, obviously, outside of that uh, communications channel. And that, wasn't, that was something that the commission did not want to get into, right? They didn't want to have to, be, have to talk about these conversations. And so just obscuring the fact that they even occurred at all or where Cheney was during these times, I think, was a part of, of covering that part of the, the day up.
0: Well, there's also the question, too, about the shoot-down order. Yes, yes. Um, there's a lot of, uh, let's say, conflicting accounts around that as well.
3: Right. The question of the uh, so, and this is again testimony from Norman Mineta, seemingly the only honest man. Uh, in the I know at he's that so time.
1: gentle.
3: I he, like he's
1: like totally
3: gentle. He seems like he's just like accidentally ended
1: up in this whole boondoggle.
3: <laughs> well, my I guess my point is that um, the idea that this could have been so. There's all of this. Uh, this conversation happened, right? The commission. This conversation that Mineta overheard between this aide and Cheney. The commission admits that this conversation happened. Obviously, Mineta did not remember nothing, right? And he's a senior member of the Bush administration. Um, and this, I think, is part of the whole uh, confusion about when Cheney got to the bunker, because in the commission's version of the story, this conversation was about Flight 93 and not about Flight 77. Mm-hmm. And so, that's right. what what that allows them to do is to speculate that maybe this order was a shoot down order rather than a stand down, down order.
0: Well, famously, that's what they—that's sort of how it's reported—is that right? He was, you know, there was this sort of tension around a shoot down order, right, around and, a positive shoot down order,
3: right, right. But if you look at and and that's and that's based on this conversation happening. After nine thirty seven, after Flight seventy seven hits the Pentagon,
1: right? Because um, if it
3: happened earlier, it wouldn't have anything to do with ninety three. Right? It, they didn't know about Flight ninety three at that time. Uh, so, but if you take Manetta at his word, and I don't think there's any reason to distrust him, certainly, <laughs> certainly, there's more reason to trust him than Cheney, for example. Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not possible that they were referencing Flight ninety three, and there, there's no. It was. It would not be a shoot down order. Uh, it just that wouldn't make sense which of course that order was not given until uh, at least at least 20 minutes later shortly before 10 uh, probably during that conversation that Bush Cheney and Rumsfeld had uh, at about 9:45 somewhere in that time frame
1: so that's the other person that's kind of has a little bit of a weird timeline is Donald Rumsfeld and he was actually at the pentagon that day like we mentioned
3: yeah, and, and for Donald Rosso, it was just a regular fucking day. Like, he, he basically treated it completely normally. Uh, you know, he, he was at a meeting, uh, I think, until about 9 o'clock. Uh, and then he gets to his office for his daily CIA briefing. Um, and his briefer had seen... His briefer was a, a CIA officer, a woman named Denny Watson, who had seen the crash happen on TV... The the crash. Obviously, when the first plane hit, there was all this confusion about was it an accident. Obviously, by the time the second plane hits, it's clear this is some kind of a coordinated event. event. Right. So she obviously is very concerned about this. She tells she tells Rumsfeld, you know, hey, like obviously we're not doing this briefing because this thing just happened. And Rumsfeld's like, no, 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 come on, let's let's do the briefing. Uh, you know she's like on the phone with CIA operations center and they're talking about there's 50 planes unaccounted for she's talking to Rumsfeld about this and and Rumsfeld is just like no let's go let's go through the briefing and they do Cool as a Um, cucumber, that one. Just unshakable. Completely unflappable. And uh, (laughs) it's almost like he he had some kind of idea about what was going to happen. Well, it's
1: really funny if you see the video clips of him. Like, basically, I mean, there's video of him, like, surveying the Pentagon crash. And he's just, like, walking around like regular Joe, just like... Totally normal. Just yeah. like, whoa, look at this. This not even like in shock. No, like it is. It's really off-putting, even well, just like visually.
0: To be it's clear, bizarre. he was in the Pentagon. Like, just so our listeners understand, he was in the Pentagon when it got hit. Yep. And like, still was totally fine. Yep. Like, yep. Uh, like, wasn't uh, unflappable. The man's yep. unflappable. Yep.
3: He so yeah I mean he's he's sitting there his this CIA person trying to convince him that this is that you know they need to end this briefing his senior military advisor is also comes in and says hey like what the fuck <laughs> and then the Pentagon gets hit uh, towards the end of their briefing at uh, you know b- about nine thirty seven uh, and he and by the way during this time Condoleezza Rice is trying to get in touch with him she says that she called his office at about nine oh five he he was in his office so it's unclear why she couldn't get in touch with him. Um, and Maybe he, he just had it
0: on vibrate. Yeah, he
3: just had his phone on <laughs> He pilot. left her on red. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, then, and then, right, you know, the, the Pentagon gets hit. Rumsfeld leaves his office and immediately books it, against the advice of his bodyguard, uh, to the mall. They, they, there's nothing on the, on the Pentagon Mall, so they go to, towards, like, the, the – because it's, like, near this uh, – there's, like, this whole parking complex, just where the plane mm-hmm. hit. And so they go over there, and he's literally there's footage of him, you know, picking up stretchers. And, it's and yeah, it's it's incredible. It's bizarre. It's,
0: it's like this. It's this totally this bizarre. Horrible old like hobgoblin, just like running people's oh, no. bodies. Um, yeah, I don't know where. <laughs> Probably some kind of collection center. Um, but yeah, it's it's crazy because to me, so obviously, <sighs> oh, you know, no. I'm not. Um, I'm not an employee of the U.S. government, and I I don't – I've worked in the Pentagon. But you would think that a man in his position would want to be sort of making some calls there, right? Like you wouldn't just be like, all right, I'm going to go pick up – there's other people for those tasks, right? But he stayed out there for a while. I mean there's like a good 30 or 40 minutes when he's just out in front of the Pentagon picking up bodies and not where you'd think he would be which would try to be sort of in the nerve center. You know, it's, he, he, he doesn't seem to be in touch with anybody else. He's just sort of MIA out in front.
3: Yeah. Yeah, he's completely missing. Between, so he's, 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 out on, he's outside of the Pentagon between when the plane hits like 9.37 till about, right, till about 10 o'clock, so about 20 minutes. And then even after he comes into the Pentagon, uh, so, which supposedly happened at about 10 o'clock, uh, he doesn't hop on this conference call, this NMCC conference call, until ten thirty. There's another thirty minute period where he's just completely unaccounted for, uh, basically a wall.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and yeah, it's 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 a little it's a little suspicious. I mean, I, I gotta say, it's it's you'd think that's the thing about nine eleven is that there's so few like minutes to really account for that mm-hmm, it's very yes. strange when someone can't uh, can't account for like a, such a large chunk of time.
3: Yes.
1: Yes, some known unknowns. Isn't that what he would say? Unknown knowns. Whatever. Make my stupid Rumsfeld joke. (laughs) 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 So um, another person that has like a little bit of a funny story here. You mentioned her. um, Brace's ex-girlfriend, Condoleezza Rice.
0: Listen, no, it was just like a weekend fling. It was a lost weekend sort of thing. So Condi... It's funny. I was reading about this. Condoleezza Rice says that, of course, the U.S. had no foreknowledge. I think she swore. I think this was in her testimony that she swore that they had no foreknowledge of any kind of attack. That there was no like this was totally unforeseen. But she herself had been warned about a uh, plane attack by jihadists or you know whoever. Oh no, it was it was specifically by 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 uh, jihadists on the G8 conference that earlier in that year in July, and in fact. In Genoa, they stationed anti-aircraft guns um, around where the conference was supposed to be because they took the threat so seriously. It's also really funny that there is uh, – this is totally has really not a lot to do with what we're talking about. But the Italian deputy prime minister, when talking about it, says, many people were ironic about the Italian secret services and made fun of them. Uh, <laughs> but it turns out they were right. <laughs> Um, but she was – it does not seem like she was really on the inside of this, um, at least is not as much as, as other people, because she does sort of seem to be like the odd man out in some of these. Or am I, or am I misreading that?
3: No, no, I think that's true. I mean, I think definitely the, the key – I mean, definitely the two key players were definitely Cheney and Rumsfeld, and it's it definitely is unclear. Again, she's trying to – you know, the – one of the big, as I mentioned, there were these sort of parallel phone calls that were happening um, and as an example, like Cheney was sort of not paying attention to this NMCC conference call, which was supposedly the whole coordinating conference yeah. call to coordinate the response and he's not really paying him much attention and right, Rice is a, a huge part of that, so there's like the official response uh, which is Rice and, and Richard Clark and other people like that uh, and who knows what they were, whether they were you know, playing these unwitting you know, parts in this whole thing or whether they knew about it and they were just sort of you know, play-acting that they had no clue what was going on. And then, yes, there's the other side of it, which is these parallel calls that were happening on these alternative uh, communications networks. And it seems like Rice was not a part of those parallel calls. She was sort of on the official response. Uh, and again, like, like I mentioned, she tries to get a hold of Rumsfeld. She tries to get a hold of a whole lot of people. Uh, and as you, as you mentioned earlier A lot of people were just out of the country Not available for a variety of reasons And so she doesn't have a whole lot of luck
0: Well, speaking of people who are out of Let's say out of Washington uh, Let's get to everybody's favorite Bumbling idiot Who is too stupid to have ever planned anything And it's just a Texas good old boy Who, uh, you know, just didn't see it coming George Bush George Bush, famously not in town that day. He was in Florida.
3: Yeah, he was, he was in Florida making sure that uh, our children is learning.
0: And, <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, and, and if, other and,
3: Bushisms. And, and uh, yeah, and, and yeah, he, you know, there's, there's, again, it's like, why is there so much inconsistency? There are multiple different accounts about who told him when the first plane hit, what he thought about that, what his response was. But yeah, he was in Sarasota, Florida. He was touring a school. Uh, I think his motorcade pulled up at around eight forty-five, and there are multiple different accounts. Again, like did his chief of staff tell him about the first plane hitting? Mm-hmm. You know, did he get a call from Condoleezza Rice? Like, it's unclear who told him. Uh, and then, right, he's he's sitting in the classroom reading a book about goats or something or other when his chief of staff comes up and tells him about the second plane hitting, uh, which is supposedly when he became aware that it was. Uh, much more than just an accident, which is what everybody had been thinking up until that point.
1: Do you really think they thought it was an accident? Okay, like planner, you know, p- people planning stuff aside or perhaps having, you know, foreknowledge or whatever. I, I-, I don't know. I- the idea that a commercial plane would just accidentally.
3: Would I can understand the- a
1: civilian thinking that. I have a hard time the president of the United States being like,
3: oops. There was so uh, you know there wasn't there were ex- there have been examples of pretty big planes hitting pretty big buildings. I mean uh, I can't remember when precisely it was, but there was an example of a uh, I think it was a B twenty five hit the Empire State Building. Mm. Yes, uh, I don't remember what the, the, year precisely the, that was. Well, that was, was like there the was 45. that was
0: during the Great Ape incident when when a large ape <laughs> that was taken from his homeland had right. captured a small blonde woman, and so yeah,
3: <laughs> yes. Yeah, so That's the U.S. Army funny. Air Corps. <laughs> So, you know, I think I think it was not inconceivable to people that a large, I mean a B25 is not a is not a small plane. No, so not I think at all. it was not it's not inconceivable to people that it was possible. Obviously, this was a very, you know, 1945 is a very different age <laughs> from 2001. Uh, so it's very different circumstances, but I think at first glance to people to to many people who were not in the know. I think it's reasonable that it might have appeared to be some kind of Bizarre mm. accident. I, I think it's. I think it's plausible that people actually did think that. Um, and again, part of this is like, what did Bush know? You know, right. w- people were like, people were telling him that we're not specifying what kind of plane it was. It. it, it you know, some people were, t- and again, there are these different conflicting accounts. But by some of the accounts, they were telling him it was uh, a small plane, or he speculated that it was a small plane. Other people supposedly told him it was a 737, which mm-hmm. it was a 767, but in any case, a large commercial airliner. So it's not, it's not yeah. clear like, what they thought or what they actually believed was happening. Again, leaving aside the fact that they did plan and execute this intentionally. <laughs> <But> <laughs> yes, leaving that yes aside, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
3: That, leaving small, that, aside that is, small detail. Leaving that aside, it's not clear what they, uh, what they you know, plausibly could have believed mm-hmm. uh, about what was happening. But yeah, I don't. I don't think it's inconceivable that, that uh, at least a lot of people actually did think it was an accident. Uh, obviously, it, you know, by by nine oh three, it's it becomes clear that it's not an accident. But uh, what did what did so? What did he do with the rest of his day? Uh, well, and again, uh, there's a lot of conflicting <laughs> reports. <laughs> Just why I ask. Um. So he, you know, so he's obviously when when the second plane hits and he gets told. Um, they are trying to rush him to the airport uh, mm-hmm. in, Sar- in Sarasota where, where they're going to pick up their first one. Um, and, the, the, again, this is all of this confusion about when exactly did the shoot-down order happen? Yeah. When did he have this conversation with... Uh, it's, I mean, I, it, there's, all these, there's all these conflicting reports about did he give the shoot-down order when he was on the plane? Yes. It would have been after 10 a.m., did he give the shoot down order at an earlier time, which I think is much more likely. I think it probably happened at like 945 while he was in the car. Um, so he basically, they, they, they drive to the airport basically as fast as they can. We're
0: talking about a positive shoot down order here now.
3: Yes. Yes. Right. Right. That they're going to, that they're going to any, basically the idea was any, any plane that is not responding to them, uh, they're just going to shoot it down with, with, you know, national guard f 15s or F 16s. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, they, they drive him to the airport and uh, they basically, the plane sits on the tarmac for, for quite a while. Yeah, I don't remember exactly when the plane takes off, but sometime after 10 a.m. But it, this is after it's, they, they're, they're sit, the plane is sitting on the tarmac and Bush is in the car. Um, and the, basically this time period is not really accounted for. And again, I think that it's very likely that they were having this call at 945 um, with Rumsfeld and Cheney where they were discussing, among other things, uh, this shoot-down order, uh, and also some other stuff as well. I think took place on that call. What else do you think took place on that call? Well, this gets into the me sounding like a sovereign citizen. Yeah,
1: I, I, I want to be clear, Ben.
3: Feel free. Look, <laughs> because of Corona, we're all sovereign citizens now. Oh yeah. Oh baby, we're we're yeah. Everybody's a sovereign citizen these days. <laughs> um, you know, this is so. This is this whole issue of continuity of government, and, and we kind of touched on it. I think the last time that we talked um you know these were these these were these doomsday plans that had initially been put in place for a nuclear war Reagan changed it to be for any kind of circumstance um, and then at, at this point in time uh, they start to activate these plans and what that what this means is bureaucrats going to bunkers um, but the big thing is this alternative communications network um so so at, you know one of the people that was involved in continuity of government planning in the 80s was was Oliver North mm. um, and pretty famously during Iran <laughs> Contra he used this um, because when you're when you're planning a conspiracy that's illegal, some of the people, like for example, like Iran Contra, some of the people in the government know about it, some people don't. Mm-hmm. And so if you're communicating over official channels, those things are ostensibly, they don't always, but they're ostensibly supposed to go to the archives. Obviously, lots of people bu- can become aware of this information.
0: Some little need- whistleblower could give it to Adam Schiff. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, that's right. They can put together a dossier. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and and so North very famously used this cog, um, this continuity of government communications network called Flashpoint, um, to communicate with other conspirators uh, in a way that would not be part of the, the typical channels. Um, and I think that that was a big part of this. Um, so, for example, this call I keep referencing between Bush, Rumsfeld, and Cheney at nine forty-five was likely over one of these alternative communications networks. There's a there's a um, an agency called the WHCA, the White House Communications Agency. Just technically part of the military, but it's basically answerable to the White House, uh, and it's it's a way that the president can communicate directly with people. It's it's mostly run by the Secret Service. Yeah, I was about to say a,
0: that surprise. Yeah, yeah, right. And it's Secret not Service a part be
3: all over that. This this uh, this communication network was was probably used during the JFK assassination by certain people as well. Um, but again, it's it's a part of having these parallel structures so that certain people in the government can be aware of of. Certain things, and you can also have your conspirators who are sharing this information more directly. So, so this
0: I, is what anarchists mean by dual power. I get
3: that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you just uh, you just set up a little. A this little is cabal. the
1: government's mutual aid
3: program. Yeah, and I, I think that that's I think that that's a big part of this is that yeah. they were putting into place these plans so that they could um, have this alter- basically an alternative bureaucracy. Uh, like we mentioned, John, you for example, doing the torture memo was being right. part of that, um, and so that was, I think, part of what they discussed that they were going to activate this plan um, that they had. I mean, so Cheney and Roosevelt had been working on this stuff all through the eighties and nineties. They had sat on these planning meetings for this Cog stuff, so they were very intimately involved in it. Uh, and when they had the chance to activate it, they they jumped at it. Uh, and I uh, yeah
1: yeah, this is something I just want to pause on because we we you know we mentioned this I think in the
3: maybe it was the first or the second episode
1: I think it was the I don't know which one it was. But um, that like one of the really unlike, you know, not well told, uh, you know, part of the story is the fact that like all of this (laughs) leads to what seems like a very well planned out expand, like very big expansion of executive power, like actually pretty unprecedented. And that like we are still living in the government that basically, I mean, you kind of say it's like a. You know, it's basically like a shadow bureaucracy that gets, you know, implemented and that we're still living in this, you know, unitary executive theory that basically gets um, implemented, you know, in the minutes between these attacks.
3: Yeah, and it was clearly, it was you know, A, it was clearly based on stuff that they had been planning for, like I mentioned, Cheney and Rumsfeld yeah. had been planning this COG stuff for a long time. Obviously, the Patriot Act was extremely long, and yet yep. it was, mm-hmm. it was ready to go. Um, it was and, so long that literally, like, barely anyone's read it. Yeah, the people in Congress couldn't read it before they voted on it. They said yeah. as much. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so I, I think it's quite clear that they had this stuff ready to go, and then they very, very rapidly put it all into place. Um, you know, people, people who are not directly a part of because obviously you can't run a huge bureaucracy by conspiracy. You can't do that. You need yes. memos, you need public, it's, a, it is, right. it's in theory a public state, and you do need to have public memos, public laws that administer this stuff. So you need to provide some kind of legal justification for why you're doing what you're doing so that these functionaries will go and do it, uh, even if they're not a part of your whatever your, ul- whatever your ulterior motives are. Right. And so that putting this COG stuff into place was, I think, a part of that. It provides a legal justification for, well, hey, we're in this emergency situation. We're going to very quickly write this executive orders, for example, one declaring a state of emergency, which is still in place and has been signed by Obama and Trump since then. Yes, um, it provides. a. Wait, legal can you ju-
1: explain that really quick? Because I don't know if people know that.
3: Yeah, so on, on September 14th, Bush signed an executive order um, that, that placed the United States in a state of emergency uh, as regards, you know, Islamic terrorism. Uh, and that executive order is the, again, it, you need legal justification for these things so that these functionaries will feel comfortable doing it, right? So it's it has been signed by Obama, and it's been signed by Trump, and it's been re-upped every single year. It's still in effect. Um And it provides a part of the legal basis for all of the stuff that's happened since then. Yes. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah, there's no way, I just, like, I don't know, I've said this before, but I just want to, like, you know, really impress it on people. Like, there is absolutely no way to understand what Trump has done through his administration without understanding what Obama also put into place during his administration, but really what also, I mean, crucially, what Bush, Cheney, and Rumsfeld Did like in these months after and in between like September 11th like it's really I mean it it, you know these this is like you know Trump is really a continuation rather than there's nothing abrupt about this man's election and the way that he's governing this is a direct direct like line straight from what we're talking about like right now
3: yeah, absolutely. And it again, it all has its roots, its legal justification, or at least its initial legal justification in this stuff that was done during these during these secret calls that took place, you know, literally half an hour after uh, in the case I mean 10 minutes after the Pentagon was hit, they were having this conversation. So it's these executive powers that Trump has and that Obama continued had their had their roots in these legal these conversations about activating plans and putting into place legal memorandum that took place like i said about 10 minutes less than 10 minutes after the pentagon was hit yeah uh, it really has its roots like immediately after these attacks happened
1: yeah and just one last thing just before we move on that i that i want to pinpoint too is as you mentioned like if they didn't have these legal memos and these legal justifications the bureaucracy like wouldn't carry this stuff out and i think that maybe i don't know there's like a sense that um the law doesn't matter or the state will just do whatever it wants and like okay sure in a in, you know in a theoretical way but in a practical way like no like this like the the United States bureaucracy is fucking massive like massive um and you know, these, these people, like, won't, if they don't have a legal memo in front of them, like, yeah, the torture memos were bullshit, but they were memos and they needed that legal justification in order for all of the little men's to actually carry out what they needed to do. And I think yeah. that's, like, really important to, for people to understand.
3: Yeah, I mean, you can, obviously, I think that there was very clearly a conspiracy that existed outside of the bounds of the public state, uh, but... To get people inside the government to, who are not a part of your conspiracy to do the stuff that you want them to do, which is the whole point of your conspiracy, so that you can make the American government do the stuff that will help out your buddies in the oil industry, mm-hmm. you need to have some kind of public order, some memorandum giving legal justification. Uh, so yeah, the, the, you know, the law is real. <laughs> the law, the I, law I compels a lot of people- these people.
0: I think a lot of people think when they hear like nine eleven conspiracy theories, one of or like you know they hear actually about any sort of quote unquote conspiracy. I mean, they are literal conspiracies, but you know what I mean? Uh, Is that they're like, well, it's too many people, it's too big, like there's no way that many people can keep a secret. But if you have this really just core group of people doing it, that's really not that many people. And I mean, a lot of it is, I think, predicated on like, basically being able to predict the actions of others. You know what I mean? Like, it's all of this is, 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 is it's totally within the realm of reason to, 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 like, basically plan for what came after 9-11, um, just by use of this, like, you know, alternative sort of state network um, uh, made up of very few people.
3: Yeah, and I mean, obviously, the other part of it is is compartmentalization, right? M- people in the yeah. military do not ask questions. You give them orders. They don't ask for why you're giving them these orders. They just carry them out. That's true of most people in the in the bureaucracy in the U.S. government. Uh, you, you know, you they don't ask for why you're telling them to do this, and you don't need to tell them why. If you're the president, if you're the secretary of defense, you can give an order. Uh, and they will carry out that order as long as they believe it's it's lawful. And even if even if they don't believe it's lawful, so you it's can,
0: funny the the uh, the captain of that aircraft carrier that uh, that had like a big COVID outbreak is getting yes. fired
3: now. Yes. Yep. Yep. So that yeah, just point the important case. Yeah. You can't you can't do that kind of stuff. You can't do that stuff. Yeah. So it's it's you know if you can have a very small group of people, and and when you have this uh, when you have this government that has no qualms about. Uh, bombing people, killing people, torturing people in the first place, as long as they're given the order to do that. Uh, (laughs) Once you're given the order to do it, they'll do it. Mm -hmm. So speaking of the military,
1: I do want to mention really quick before we get into the actual buildings that there were some odd, you know, we had mentioned before with whether, you know, shoot down, you know, if there was these orders being given and when, that there was a hard time even finding jets to scramble basically. There were, yeah. there were basically what it was called, like, war games going on scheduled, to like, the day of 9-11.
0: Yes, NORAD was in, like, some pretty intense ones.
3: Yeah, there was this, there were a number of ones, they were mostly, they were mostly interrelated. They were different parts of the military doing different things, but it was under this, uh, NORAD, uh, Vigilant Guardian was the name of the main one, um, and it was it was weird because in previous years they had mostly been carried out uh, in October November time frame and this one happened much earlier mm. uh, and there's there's some there's some people who have seen uh, claim to have seen evidence that this one was scheduled for that same time frame and then was rescheduled to be earlier at some point um, that's that's less clear but certainly it is the case that that for some reason this one was held in September as compared to the usual October November time frame and like you mentioned um There was so, for example, when Flight Eleven, when the the FAA first made their call to Northeast Air Defense Station, their first question was: "Is this a drill? Is this part of the exercise, or is this real?" Yeah, Um, and that happens throughout. There's, there's, um, you know, if you listen to the FAA recordings uh, and their conversations between uh, the FAA controllers and um, the military, there, there are all of these people who are confused about is -hmm. is what's happening part of the exercise or is it actually real?
1: It's actually, if you do listen to it, and I encourage our listeners to, like, it is mind blowing, like how much confusion there was and, and like bad communication. Like no one, I mean, I guess it's, I, I mean, I I don't mean in a sense where it's like, okay, this insane attack just happened. Of course, there's bad communication, but it's uh-huh. like it's almost like a joke. Like it sounds like like a kind of like imp, like a improv th- game or something.
3: <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, everybody, every uh, you know, another huge thing that that you mentioned was that a lot of these planes, uh, uh, you know, usually there are at least some National Guard aircraft. Uh, on standby in in place to to intercept because intercepts happen for a variety mm-hmm. of different reasons. Um, you know it, there had been a for example there have been at least several dozen intercepts in the in a, you know decade or so leading up to this. So it does happen. and an intercept just means that a that a fighter goes out meets some plane that's out there for some reason it doesn't mean that they necessarily shoot yeah. Um, and in this case there are, there are numerous instances where uh, the FAA gets in touch with the. Whoever's running the local air defense, and they're told that they don't have they don't have fighters accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, yeah, they have
1: to go pretty far out. They they start. I mean, it's like they couldn't find one in Ohio. They couldn't right. find ones in like. Um, I think they went even further than Ohio, further west than
3: Ohio. Yeah, to, to respond to Flight 93, which was which was you know in the obviously crash in Pennsylvania was thereabouts. They were they were going all the way out. I think to Nebraska was where they finally found jets that could fly over. For, Which is you know,
1: insane. That's like totally insane. Right, right. The time, the like, kind of like time that that could even you know lead to yeah. a response.
3: Yeah, and then and then even even the you know the so so two of the planes that, that did actually make their way. There were two F-15s that were sent out of Otis Air Force Base uh, in Massachusetts, um, and even those two, it they there was so much confusion about where to send them that they basically just ended up sending them over the East River, and they just kind of stayed there. Um, yeah, it, it, this is and this was wow. You know, it's not very hard for an F-15 to make it from New York to Washington D.C. That's a pretty short trip for a, for a high-powered military jet.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, people gotta say these are a lot faster than like commercial airlines.
3: Yes. Yeah, and they and they typically, they, you know, they they obviously are not going to fly a supersonic on a day-to-day basis. That would yeah, that would be pretty damaging. But in a circumstance like this, they did. I mean, the the ones that flew from Massachusetts to New York, uh, you know, were flying several, you know. Uh, Many, many, many hundreds of miles an hour. Hmm. Uh, but right, these two planes from Massachusetts were just hanging out over the East River uh, while when Flight they 77.
1: Could have, w- yes, when they absolutely could have been
3: absolutely would have been at the Pentagon for for a for an F-15 to intercept a large commercial airliner uh, would have been it would have been no problem. Uh, but they 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 did not get that order. <laughs> there were jets that were scrambled from, from Langley, an Air Force Base in Langley, Virginia um and those jets but, but by the time those jets were in the air it was it was probably too late
1: yeah everyone should like look at and listen to these tapes i mean it really is like keystone government keystone cops it's like, amazing it, it's so weird hearing these calls and yeah. it's funny too because i mean every there was like some weird you mentioned like there was some weird there's weird communication too where like he's basically like the guy um you know, trying to get these planes is basically told mul- by multiple different people, not just, oh, we don't have them, but like, no, I can't give you any.
3: Right, right. Which is very weird. Yeah, and that, that kind of can, so the idea is that you're supposed to go up the chain. So they, so the planes that were scrambled from Otis, um, there was a direct conversation between the person who was running Boston Control for the FAA uh, and the person in charge of, of uh, Northeast Air Defense, or at least one of their subordinates. So so a, a regional air defense group in a regional FAA, in theory, and this was this was the explanation for why these jets were not scrambled as fast as they were, you were supposed to go up the chain. You were supposed to go, to, and the head of mm-hmm. the FAA was supposed to get in touch with basically the Secretary of Defense's office to get this authorized. Um that chain wasn't doing so great on nine eleven. No, because key people were not were not there. a huge mm-hmm. a huge number of people in very key positions as a part of this chain were uh, either out and they had a subordinate step in on a temporary basis, or for several of them, it was their first day on the job. Like these yes. Are, these are people who, you know, again, multiple key positions in the air defense and in the communication between the FAA. And the air defense. A lot of these people were literally on their first day of the job, or they it was not their usual role. They were just you had goddamn quality. rookies in there. Yes, very. People. I
1: mean, it's really hilarious. It's like it's really uh, anyone. I mean, it took me actually w- seeing bizarre like a, coincidence a
0: visualization <laughs> of it. Like someone had made like a little chart and just showed yeah. how many people were out that day, and how few of these people actually had somebody that could like sort of step in and act in their role. Yep. Like I th- I can't remember who it was. I think it was the it was either it was I think it might have been either the hostage guy at the FAA or maybe even the FAA chief himself, but somebody in this really highly important role was out and did not have a replacement. There was no one else who could do his job. Yeah. And yep. that like it that that, I mean, these chains of command, especially in situations, you know, in government and, and, I mean, sort of civil as well, bureaucracy, they're hugely important. You can't just kind of go around them. And so that and, caused massive delays.
3: And again, if, if the attack had happened the day before or the day after, these people, at least for the people who, who had a stand-in, they would have been there. You know, it, yeah. It's just this one day, it just so happened that it, that it all sort of lined up this way. Uh, And again, I think this was part. You know, there were certain people in certain positions who knew, and they they made this happen, and and ensured that the response would be slowed uh, Mm -hmm. by by just enough, by just enough.
0: And this that that actually that point really makes this sort of like uh, really kind of puts to rest a lot of the the concerns people have about like oh well this is such a big conspiracy you know all these people can't be in it it's like they don't all have to be in on it. Like it's, it's, you know, if you are, if you are someone like Cheney or Rumsfeld, you understand that if it's someone's first day on the job, they are, the probabilities are in your favor that they're going to biff it yep. and that they're going to yep. fuck up and they don't know what to do and they don't have the training. And yep. so it doesn't like, it doesn't need to be, I, I think that's what people got to understand. And that's true with a lot of stuff we talk about. Not everybody has to be in on it.
3: Yep. And, and they're, re- they're, they plan to, for redundancies, Right. There were four. Yeah. There were four planes that were hijacked, supposedly, mm-hmm. uh, and only three of them hit their targets. If only two of them had hit their targets, or if only one of them had hit their target, it's exactly. very. It's very likely that the political response would have been basically the same, right? It, it, it precisely. It, so and again, we don't know what that fourth plane was headed for. It could have been the Capitol. That's what a mm-hmm. lot of people speculate. Uh, you know, it could have been any other building in Washington. And again, if that fourth plane had hit, I don't think it would have changed things very much, right? I think we would have ended up with basically the same political response.
0: Even if that, even if that small civilian jet that uh, was later said to be an airliner hadn't hit the Pentagon, it'd probably be the same thing.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we should
1: talk. I mean, I have questions about the should Pentagon. Should we talk Pentagon real quick? Yeah, let's. Because well, I, I was like, oh, about. I want to get into jet fuel and steel beams, but let's talk about the Pentagon first because yeah. I got some questions about if this actually happened. Bend the way they, I mean,
3: Liz, are you a no planer? Are you a no planer? <laughs> Liz
1: is, okay, I will I, have,
0: say I will rat Liz out right dude, now. Liz, <laughs> I, first of all, I want to be clear: I'm not a no planer,
1: but I'm okay. a maybe it was not
0: the set that I maybe have it was a dabbled. Yeah.
1: Okay, I have dabbled in no planing.
0: Yeah,
1: I have not committed to the no plane lifestyle. Yeah, but I've been known to partake in some no planing. See this. I, is a, I,
3: these I call
0: Liz a hydroplaner, means she, when she drinks a little water and gets a little less lightheaded, she starts believing there was a plane.
3: Uh-huh. Yeah, these see these are the fault lines inside the nine eleven truth community that people just don't know about. It's it's like uh, it's like Tumblr drama, but it's for uh, people who were on BBS forums <laughs> in, in two thousand three. <laughs>
1: They need little emojis to put, in, like, so we could be like, "No plane." No plane. Well, right. Let's just
0: to say where we stand. We've established Liz is a no planer. I've I'm not a no sp-
1: planer. I just like the idea of there not being a plane. Okay. Yeah. Well, Liz, Liz is uh, partial, or
0: she has sentimental yeah. feelings. I'm no
1: plane curious. Uh, no no plane. By the
0: way, what? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I am. I am a person who thinks that it possibly was a different plane. Yeah. That that's I'm not I'm not casting that that. I like that theory too. Uh, Ben, where are you standing on the plane issue?
3: Yeah, I think it was I think it was definitely a plane. Uh, Again, I'm with you, Brace. I don't know if it was the plane that they said it was. Because yeah,
0: that was a pretty that if 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 there was some fancy flying going on
3: there that day. Yes. Wait. Let me back up.
0: Okay.
1: Let's just because I'm sure our listeners don't understand. So we're talking about. The Pentagon crash. But why would people think that there's discrepancy with how the the story's been told? Like, literally just about how the crash happened.
3: Well, right. So the story is that it's Flight, flight 77. that hit. Um, one of the big things for years was the very weird-looking... Uh, surveillance footage from a uh, this was right near a parking lot and so there was an entrance to a parking lot that had a camera that was just there for the for the parking lot basically to see Mm -hmm. who went in and out Um, and there were frames missing from and there still are frames missing from this video Um, and so it's very it you really cannot make out in this video footage what it is that hit the Pentagon. So that's a big part of it.
0: So we're we're talking like fifteen fps, thirty fps. They got to get a it, better N- NVIDIA card.
3: Not, but even beyond that, actually, there are frames that are that are missing My that God. have been taken out. Yes, that, that were taken out at some point for some reason. Uh, mm-hmm. the chain of custody on the, on the uh, video footage <laughs> is like very sketchy. Like it's unclear who had yes. it and when. And like, I love
0: this so much. None of it so was much. not a great day for the, for chain integrity.
3: <laughs> it really was not. I mean, we haven't even talked about the black boxes being missing, but somehow they've a passport. I mean, like, but, but in this case, f- but let's focus on, I guess we should focus on, on the Pentagon. So yeah, so there's, there's that <laughs> whole issue and you really can't make out what it is. The second thing is the, the, the actual impact site is, is not super consistent with a commercial airliner hitting a building of that type. Uh, like the, the, just the way that the entry point and like how that all looks is, just very weird. It does not look like you would expect this to look. Um, I mean, it, it, it's, it's,
0: Like I understand why there are no planers.
3: I totally get it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, also
1: we should talk about where in the Pentagon it's hit, because it's an area that was also recently retrofitted. (laughs)
3: Yes, it was an area that was recently basically reinforced to survive uh, not not plane crashes specifically, but like bombs and things mm-hmm. like that. And other, <laughs> other most of the rest of the Pentagon did not have this retrofitting. It was like literally mm-hmm. basically this section. This section also had like the budget offices. Uh, yes. Which, yeah,
1: it had like a bunch of computer servers, didn't it? Isn't it funny in yes. accounting?
3: And a lot of accountants were there. I mean, a lot of people that died were, were, were DOD accountants. It's, it's also,
0: accountants. also weird that they actually mm-hmm. don't have the exact number I believe of people who died too. That I believe goes up really? and down a little bit. Yeah, well, it goes up and down. I, I, I actually, yeah, no, it is. I was looking at this this morning. <laughs> Fuck that. Yeah, no, I will say ahead. that there are dis, there are discrepancies in the reports of the amount of casualties.
3: Yeah, yeah. So so I totally get. I totally understand based on the based on the weird video evidence and the and the weird looking crash site that um, you know it's I totally understand why people think that it could have been a missile. Um, mm. The other thing, of course, is the is. Well, sorry, is the, go ahead.
1: No, I was gonna. No, I think we were both leading to the same place because Brace mentioned like how this crash actually happened and the insane flight pattern that this plane allegedly took. Right, plane in in quotation
3: marks. <laughs> plane, yeah, plane in quotation marks. Because the so the the plane uh, in quotation marks hit. Basically, exactly parallel to the ground. at Obviously, a very low altitude because it struck the side of the building. So it basically hit perpendicular to the side of the building, uh, which is a pretty uh, that that involves obviously flying at low altitude in a commercial airliner that is not really built to do that from somebody who is not a good pilot by all accounts.
1: Well, yes, and savvy listeners will remember we spoke about how specifically this pilot. I'm forgetting which which one it was, but he was. Um, like notably so bad that the flight school called to try to revoke him having a pilot's license because he was, and the FAA of course never got back to the flight school because he was so like demonstrably like incapable, like not capable of flying a
3: plane. Yeah. Yeah. This was Hani Hanjur who was, who was training out in Arizona. Yeah. We talked about the fact that like his, yeah. And and of course the FBI had been looking into him as well and and didn't Mm -hmm. get anywhere with that for, for some reason. <laughs> um, but the, a, and the flight path to get to where he supposedly ended up being at this total directly parallel to the ground, hitting perpendicular to the side of the building was this basically perfect corkscrew maneuver. Yeah. Like, so it did, you,
0: like I've, I've, I've seen pilots testimonies about this and they're like, this is, I couldn't do this.
3: It's a, exceedingly difficult. Cause obviously, so if you're, I'm making hand gestures, which no one can see, but if you're flying at a relatively high altitude and you need to get your plane to a lower altitude, uh, while simultaneously being back where you started, right? So you need to do a you need to do a circle in a two dimensions, and then you simultaneously be, need to be dropping altitude at the same time. So mm-hmm. you need to execute this corkscrew maneuver, which is not an easy thing to pull off uh, in a um, if, by the way, completely full of fuel. Right? These these planes right. typically a, a commercial airliner lands um, not empty, but but not super full like this one was. It was yeah. Just the point theoretically was that they were full of fuel, so they would cause a fire. Um, and it was steel a, beams, right, right, precisely. So this was a, and as you mentioned, like lots of commercial airline pilots have attempted to replicate it, and some of them have been successful, but not mm-hmm. usually on their first try. It's a, it's a very difficult thing to do, and certainly Hani Hanjur was not a good pilot. Uh, right. So mm-hmm. it's and
0: it's, uh, and let's be clear, this was his first try.
3: Right. Right. He had never. He had definitely. He had never flown a multi multi engine plane. He had never flown a plane of this type before. Like this was his first time flying. I
1: mean, yeah. And if any of these guys even flew these planes, which is something we can maybe get into. Absolutely. I to, to am be very. Clear, yeah.
0: Th- this plane came in at such like. You really, I, I, I encourage people listening to look up a visualization of this because it's, it's so insane, it's astounding. The plane comes in basically. Like upside down almost. Yeah. And it's it's clipping – it's flying so close to the ground, so close yep. to the ground that it is clipping like lampposts yep. mm-hmm. and like knocking over chain link fences and stuff. Yep. I mean, again, yep. not a great day for links and chains. <laughs> um, but it is like – it is something that like – it is like a hot shot like Luke Skywalker move, not the move of like a guy who could barely fly a fucking Cessna.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, one one thing to plug, I don't endorse all of the conclusions reached by this documentary, but if you look up on YouTube, it gets taken down a bunch, but on YouTube there's a documentary called uh, 9-11, A New Pearl Harbor, and it has all this stuff in it. It's got all the FAA stuff, uh, like recordings. It's got stuff about this uh, flight plan. It's got all this stuff. That's so really encourage good. To, yeah, it's, super, it's like six hours long or something like that. Yeah. But, <laughs> and again, like I don't endorse everything that's in there, but as far as like having the primary evidence, it's it's got some good stuff in there, including this.
0: Yeah, especially for visualization stuff, it's, it's yeah,
3: that's like yeah, that. I
0: think
1: that yeah, the
3: visualization
1: really helps because it's when you see it laid out, it's completely like nonsensical. Yeah. It doesn't make any. It doesn't make any sense.
4: Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, but. I will say the one reason I'm like, I don't know about the missile thing. I feel like there would have been
3: too many witnesses for it to be a missile and it would have come
1: from somewhere.
3: Yeah. And it, you know, it flew right over the highway right there. Yeah, Mm -hmm. So there were a lot of people. And that's, again, that's why I'm not a no planer. Like people would have, um, there were a lot of witnesses who, who saw a plane of some kind again was it a was it the commercial airliner that they said it was right, was it right, a different right. plane like that I think it's still uncertain but it, it definitely seems like a plane of some kind well
0: it's also just like it's clear that the people who did this attack which by which I mean the, the government officials we mentioned earlier uh, that they have no like compunctions about hijacking a plane and crashing it into a building no. so I'm not sure why they would pick a missile for this
3: one right Right. I'm yep.
2: ready for the end So the second lane Hit it 9.02 Saw it live on a hotel TV Talking on my cell with you You said this would happen just like that it did
1: Um, I feel like before we get into the towers, we do have to mention, like we said, the fourth plane, the flight 93, which is gets allegedly, which crash lands allegedly, um, and also becomes the subject of a fine film.
0: It is the Ringo star of the, of the four that's so hijack flights. Everyone
1: forgets 93. Yeah. I guess that's why they made the movie. But um I don't you know what's funny is I will say like even people who are perhaps not as truthed out as we are don't believe the official story about 93. Like they are they concede that it was probably shot down, which I think is so funny. Just like normies or people who don't consider themselves
3: um, truthers. Yeah, it definitely I mean uh, so there's a lot of there're Obviously, there's the shoot down order that was given, yeah. um, which the commission report says happened later. I think probably happened at at around nine forty five, something like that. Which is a completely consistent timeline with with flight ninety three getting shot down.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, so it it totally makes sense that that order would have been out there. Um, I'm not really clear like why it would have been shot down. Um, like I, I have a
0: couple of theories on that.
3: I'd be curious to hear them because I don't really know.
0: So I think that they saw how smashingly successful they'd been so far. Hmm. And I think it would have been extremely suspicious had they not done that. Like, I think it was insurance. Like, I think having a flight Mm -hmm. hijacked was insurance for if the other three didn't go as planned or if one of the other ones didn't go as planned. But the fact that all three prior ones had, had, uh, you know, things, things were going well, let's say, um, then it makes sense to me that that this that they 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 might as well just shoot this one down. So it wasn't like I mean one could imagine they would face some, some harsh questions uh, about why that would, did not happen um, if it hadn't. But it also gave people martyrs too.
3: Yeah, yeah. It gave, I mean, it very-
0: hell, martyrs in a different sense than the martyrs,
3: the rest of the victims. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I. The other the other thing is that the crash site is just totally bonkers and mm-hmm. it is, it is like I mean basically when investigators showed up there was like a hole in the ground
1: <laughs> there
3: there was no plane I mean it was it, it was you know, just like
1: blown to dust right
3: yeah I mean it's not it it basically just is not consistent with I mean you could look at photos yourself and like the early like p- people who were on the scene obviously the NTSB report gets gets massaged but the people who were on the scene early on, like they, they all, like it just doesn't make any sense. It's like a, a little tiny hole in the ground in the turf uh, that is smoking. So it's it's not it, you know either it was not the commercial airliner that crashed or right or that it was shot down and and what was left was this, this you know maybe some pieces that uh, the more intact ones that created this this wreckage.
0: Yeah, uh, it's it's pretty amazing. It's it's. The, the For me, I've always thought that there was such a tremendous sort of propaganda effort around that, like around sort of the, the, the fighting back against the um, mm-hmm. the hijackers that that the movie there, there to me. There was the
1: phone calls as well. Yeah. Remember, that's like a, a really important piece is that you get audio of people calling let's in roll. at the plane. Yeah, you've got Let's Roll, but also just like the people calling their families.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's it's. I've always thought that that was that was really useful to to, to sort of to Bush and, and company here because it it basically gives them this like sort of semi not positive but this this sort of kind of uplifting story about these people sacrificing themselves to save whoever would have you know their plane would have hit.
1: Yep. Um, yeah, that yeah. makes sense to me. Well, I okay. We've teased it long enough. It's time. Let's talk towers. There's two, the twins. So first of all, yes, that's
0: triplets. (laughs) First of all, what, so what's, what are the World Trade Center towers? Like what's going on in these things? I think a lot of people, you know, you hear 9-11, you hear the twin towers, but uh, what are we talking about here?
3: I mean, a lot of, a lot of, you know, we talked about like, there's, uh, our th- this show's favorite Deutsche Bank uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> had a lot of offices. There was a lot of it was a lot of finance. Ward Churchill, Little Eichmanns, uh, inside that building, inside both of those buildings, um, and it was. I mean, it was a it was a it was owned by the. So these buildings were all. This whole complex was owned by the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, mm-hmm. uh, and it was basically rented out as of office space. I mean, a, a whole number of downtown finance companies had offices uh, in these towers. Deutsche Bank, just mentioned, Lehman Brothers, a lot of them. Uh, and then World Trade Center Seven, I think we mentioned earlier, but but the CIA had some offices there. Um, it was a Solomon Brothers had a had a major office in World Trade Center Seven, uh, and that was also the one of New York City's emergency operations centers was also in World Trade Center Seven. Uh, so there's a lot going on in these in these three buildings. Uh,
0: and they, they were they were owned, or at least they, the offices were leased out, I guess, by a guy named Larry Silverstein.
3: Yes, he had he had just. I don't. Again, at the two months before. I don't. Yeah, I don't know the like precisely the ownership structure, like how exactly it works. But basically, he purchased the buildings in essence, and uh, two two months before it happened, uh, Larry Silverstein bought these things, and he took out insurance uh, policies on both buildings as well. Um, So I think the total. I think the total price for World Trade Center One and Two that he paid was three billion Mm dollars. and he ended up he ended up getting paid. He tried to claim six billion dollars on the insurance policy. I think
0: it was actually seven.
3: Yeah, he, some crazy number because it was two attacks. So he said, "Well, I get double the payout." <laughs> uh, the the court there was a settlement, and I think he ended up getting something like four and a half billion. Um, but he, I mean, so again, the the planes struck. I can't remember which building his office was in, um, but obviously they they struck it around the time that most people would be showing up. So like eight thirty, eight forty five, nine o'clock. You know that time frame. He, he took a meeting in his office every single morning. Mm-hmm. But not uh, that
1: morning. But not that
3: morning because his <laughs> wife had scheduled a doctor's appointment for him that he forgot about. And so he was like stuck, I think, in midtown traffic at the time. Yeah, he was going to happen. his dermatologist. I Always will use say, the wife. That's, I will all, that's say, key.
0: I, this show has, in the past, uh, staked out a fairly comprehensive pro-nagging position <laughs> a v <laughs> wives, etc. Sure, uh, I gotta say, nagging saves the day again.
3: Yep, yep. Uh,
0: no, I think he was actually supposed to be either in the meeting or he also had a breakfast date that he yeah. skipped
3: out on. Uh, yeah, and I mean, he like he I, he said himself, he every single day he was in his office at that time, except for this one day. Yeah, um, you know, for some bizarre reason, he was not there. <laughs>
0: Amazing. So, <laughs> let's talk about. I don't even know where we should begin on
3: this.
1: Well, I mean, do you think jet fuel can melt steel beams?
3: Good question. I think that question has been answered pretty unambiguously. Even <laughs> NIST admits jet fuel cannot <laughs> melt steel beams.
1: That's right. So basically, when the, the so the first plane hits, this is the North Tower, right?
3: Right. And right. that's
1: around eight. 845, 847? Yeah, I
3: think it was 847. I think that was okay. when I, exactly when it hit.
1: And people are already, like, as it's happening, I mean, you know, people are fleeing. But people are already on the ground looking at the damage before the second plane comes.
3: Right? Y- yeah, that's right. And and actually, this is like a, so, I'll, I'll kind of uh, out myself already. I'm, I'm definitely a controlled demolition believer. Yes! Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it definitely was. And They call I mean,
0: them Benny Squibs.
3: <laughs> That's right. I would love, man. Squibs. I've seen squibs in my nightmares. I mean, that is that is some scary shit. Yeah. But this, um, there there were there were two independent witnesses in the North Tower, um, or sorry, uh, rather in the in the South Tower, World, World Trade Center two, mm. um, who both who both heard a massive explosion in the basement, um, and uh, one of them was a, a, an engineer who was working in a sub basement. He hears this huge explosion. He goes upstairs. Um, I don't call his name exactly. This is all stuff, by the way, pulled from History Commons, which I, I encourage people to check out. They've got a great, we, will,
0: we will link uh, to it.
3: Yeah, they got a great 9-11 timeline. Um, and he's he's down in the sub-basement. He goes upstairs. And he, he actually, both the people I'm going to mention were, were uh, witnessed the 93 um, World Trade Center bombing, which was a bomb in the basement, um, mm-hmm. which had its own weird ties to the FBI. But And Mohammed uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And he, but but he goes up to uh, the floor above him, and this, uh, in his own words, this, this fifty ton hydraulic press that was used to to uh, make parts for, for various purposes was just obliterated. It was just gone. And he goes up to the parking garage, and there's huge huge amounts of damage. Mm. Um, now he, he, he doesn't he doesn't his time frame is uncertain. Obviously, not you know most normal people were not keeping track of exactly what time everything happened. Yes. Um, but this kind of damage is not consistent with, uh, a plane hitting between the 93rd and the 99th floors of the building. It just, it just isn't possible to destroy a 50 ton solid metal, you know, piece of equipment and to cause huge damage, uh, without whole to, collapse. Absolutely not. Right. It, it just doesn't make any sense. Uh, a second witness, a janitor, um, who was, who has been hailed as a hero because he was one of the people, he was one of the few people in the North tower that had a master key, um, and he was unlocking doors for firefighters. He was going up the stairs. Mm. He also heard this explosion. Um, mm. He heard this explosion happen, and then they and then he did hear the second explosion. Him and his boss heard the second explosion, which was the plane hitting. Um, and the the damage and and he also has witnessed a coworker of his came into the office that he was in, uh, in one of the sub basement floors, and they, this person was burned quite severely. Uh, burned. And again, this was a, burned. Yes, burned, burned very severely. The mm. the. Explanation that NIST gave for this uh, was that jet fuel had traveled down the elevator shaft and it was on Hate fire. and it caused this, uh, and it caused this uh, this damage.
0: Uh,
3: that's insane. Is, it doesn't make any sense. the The volume of fuel that's carried on a commercial airliner versus the volume of ninety plus stories of elevator shaft.
0: This is it absurd. just is. This is the dumbest motherfucking thing I've ever heard in my life. They're telling me that that jet fuel, flaming jet fuel, traveled <laughs> ninety fucking stories down an elevator shaft, and then came out of the elevator shaft like the fucking shining blood and burned this dude. What?
3: That's that's the du- what? It just doesn't it, make. It doesn't make sense. The magic fuel theory. <laughs> Also, shouldn't it have melted through all the steel beams? Uh, right. Exactly. It's it's like the double fuel hypothesis, right? That the fuel simultaneously all went down the elevator shaft to cause this damage in the basement, but also was was uh, creating enough heat that it was causing the trusses to sag, uh, you know, on those on those some floors. Yes. It just doesn't make any sense. It's not. It, it. I mean, it's just ludicrous. And again, I think this is this is like part of the evidence for the idea that there were explosives that were somehow planted in this building at some point
1: well other people start seeing explosions later
3: on right yeah there's so uh, you know there are tons of i mean first off and you could check you can look at video footage there's tons yeah. of explosive mm-hmm. damage in the lobbies of these buildings um and again the nist theory is that this jet fuel traveled down the elevator shafts and caused this damage but it just isn't consistent with that it's it's not fire damage it's you know windows blown out uh it i mean multiple firefighters, police officers, uh, people who would know said it looked like a bomb had gone off. Yeah. Um, and it just is not consistent with a plane hitting, you know, again, 90 floors above the ground. It just isn't possible for it to cause that kind of damage on the ground floor. Um, and then and then, bef- right before the buildings are collapsing, uh, you have tons and tons of eyewitnesses reporting hearing uh, explosions. And this was sort of in both uh, towers on both towers absolutely on both towers and this was sort of written off as well they heard uh deformation people's of the metal. memories
0: are un- unreliable
3: but some of these are people who uh, you know uh, res- you know respect the truth these were people who had seen combat in yeah. in the Gulf War some of these veterans who were in the fire mm-hmm. fire department and police department i mean they know what the difference between an explosion uh, and uh and a deformation it it 's just it it doesn 't sound like the giant booms uh that these that all of these people report hearing and I mean you can hear it yourself if you watch some of that video footage i mean it does not when a building collapses and if you've if you 've seen footage of well we, we can get to the fact that these types of buildings also have never collapsed from fire before <laughs> uh but that 's a separate issue, but like it it doesn 't sound like Metal deformation. It sounds like uh, explosions, and in fact, a series right. of explosions, which is what a lot of people reported here. Well, basically. it would
1: have required. I mean, that's the whole idea is that it would have required not just one, but like right. a like series of explosions in specific areas in order to. I mean, that's you know that's the like kind of the the basis of the whole theory. In order for the building to collapse the way that it did,
3: right? And that's so that's like a really a really important point is. Um, I'm not so I'm not an engineer <laughs> i just I've just read parts I of am the- <laughs> though no I'm just but <laughs> <laughs> so this is just kind of my like amateur, but um, uh, this these buildings collapsed at least for part of their collapse at free fall mm-hmm. speed mm-hmm. yes, and this was something that was not in the NIST reports initially, uh, and actually, I think it was like a high school science teacher <laughs> did <laughs> did some frame by frame analysis of the videos and showed that there was a time, at least some time, when these buildings were collapsing at free-fall speed. And NIST was forced to update their report, and they did. And now in the report it says it did collapse at freefall. fall um, The issue is, uh, uh, not to get into like a, a high school physics lesson, but if if the buildings are collapsing under the force of gravity alone, right? which is the theory that NIST gives you, uh, that energy has to go... If the buildings are collapsing at free fall, that means all of the energy from gravity is, is causing these buildings to collapse at free fall. But the problem with that is that the buildings are pulverized when they get to the bottom. Right. Yep. You need energy to cause the pulverization to happen. You need energy to cause the deformation of the metal uh, to actually co- result in the damage that you see. So it's not possible for uh, you to simultaneously have this free fall collapse and also have the deformation. Uh, and the the pulverization of of much of the wreckage that you end up seeing. There's just not enough energy uh, to to actually end up causing that. Um, the The second part of it is is I mentioned earlier the squibs. Yeah. Um, so
1: just to really quickly explain what those are, I think a lot of people have seen. I mean, at least in my mind, it, you know, when I was looking at all this stuff, it made total sense because you can in your memory when you think of like you know I think it's like World Trade Center one. You see these like kind of like clouds of dust ejecting out of the sides of the building. I mean, it's like kind of ingrained in the photo of the towers, almost, right? Um, And those are what you call squibs, right?
3: Yeah, those are squibs, and squibs are if you watch footage of a of a controlled demolition, they're they're always present. Um, And what it is is when you when you want to collapse a building, you you go to where the uh, structural parts of the building are the different, you know, girders and things that are actually holding the thing up and you need to destroy those. Right. So the way that you do that is you place explosives on them. And in the parts of the structure that are in close contact to the, to the most energetic phase of the explosion, that is to say like the parts that are touching the explosive, basically those parts become pulverized and they get sent out in this cloud of dust. It's sent out at very, very high speed. Yeah. Um, and in the case of these, in the case of these collapses, um, if you do like a slow mo video footage, you can see it's at least 100 miles an hour that these clouds are ejected, probably faster than that. Um, and it's a pretty telltale sign. And if you if you look at footage, you can see these these little puffs of smoke uh, emerging in in advance of the mm-hmm. sort of advancing uh, supposed pancake collapse of the building.
1: Wait, uh, can you go over the pancake? Because yeah.
3: yeah, that's the official. Yeah,
0: yeah, cook me up, cook me up a flapjack.
3: I mean, just like really, really briefly, like the NIST account of what of what happened, right? Because um, yeah. I think it is important to know. So the first thing is that um, prior to this and since this, uh, these are these are steel frame skyscrapers, right? These are very common buildings, and part of the reason that the NIST report happened in the first place was engineers were like, "What the fuck is this? Actually, possible that all of yeah. these steel skyscrapers that we've been building are this vulnerable to fire?" Like that I mean that mean, they f- can just like
0: a, a, a large fire will literally demolish giant skyscrapers, because like pulverize
3: it. <laughs> right, because that's the NIST. The NIST theory is that the is that it wasn't just the jet fuel; it was office. It was things in the office, right? V- yeah, papers, uh, cushions, carpeting—just normal stuff that you would have in any office building in this country. So, so uh, very understandably, engineers were very concerned. Like, is this is this something that we haven't been accounting for? So the NIST story for World Trade Center 1 and 2 is that uh, the planes hit. When they hit, they shear off some of the fireproofing from these girders. Uh, And then obviously the the explosion, the jet fuel, all of the stuff in the office causes this big fire. That fire causes enough heat uh, that these girders that are joining the outside wall and the center column melt. They start to sag, and as they sag, they pull the outside wall into the middle, and that triggers this pancake collapse, uh, whereby you know the top floor falls into the second floor, and that's enough force to cause the second floor to fall into the third floor, or mm-hmm. it's the reverse. You know, the 100 whatever floor you know fall on the 99th floor, etc. That is the theory of of how the buildings collapsed. Um, Problem is, it doesn't make any fucking sense at all. Yeah, <laughs> yes,
0: that's the thing with all of this. Is like, it's 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 so much of it when you like okay, but you realize, look on the surface, you don't really understand these concepts. But like, once it's laid out, it makes no fucking sense.
3: And and it's astounding. You know, architects and engineers for 11 truth are this group that was founded in two thousand six. Mm-hmm. Um, these are people who have put their professional credibility on the line. I mean, they are regarded as wackos by a lot of people. Um, but, in their professional judgment, and they've done a lot of there have been a lot of technical papers that have come out. There was a recent one about World Trade Center seven, which is even weirder than World Trade Center mm-hmm. one and two. Um, you know they've they've explained like it does the NIST explanation does not make any sense. And again, I'm not an engineer, so my my explanation is is not the best. But the idea that um, again, it, when you have a when you have a floor crashing into the next floor below it, it doesn't just cause everything to give way. There is a there's a ton of at the very top of a building, obviously the 99th floor. The, the stuff that's holding up the 99th floor is also strong enough to hold up every single floor below. I know it, it doesn't even
1: make sense just thinking through it, like as a you know yeah like as a non-engineer I mean, no, or a absolutely. non-architect.
3: Absolutely, as a layperson, it doesn't. We've been <laughs> we've been like fed this all this bullshit by all these groups to make us not trust just very basic. But the idea that one floor falling. 10 feet would be enough force to cause the entire structure below it to just give way. It's, it doesn't make any sense. And it's, I mean, in my opinion, it's clearly not what actually happened. Well, uh,
1: you mentioned the redheaded
3: stepchild, which is building seven. Yeah. Hmm. And building seven is really what caused a lot of people. So, I mean, the first, the first thing to know about all of these different reports that happen, like world trade center seven does not get mentioned in the nine 11 commission report. Yes. Basically at all. Because not even he, in popular imagination. No, no, totally right. Two planes brought down three towers. How is that possible, right? Uh, World, it's, Trade- it's and it, World
0: Trade Center, or excuse me, yeah, WT seven was not a little teeny building
3: no. right next to it either. No, huge 70, 70 plus. I think it was seventy eight floors, something like mm-hmm. that. Yep. Um, it was. I was just watching this Daniel Ganser. He's a he's a um, a Swiss historian. And he was saying if if that building had been in Switzerland, it would have been the tallest building in Switzerland. Right. It's a very very big very huge skyscraper grenade. yeah
1: people think it's like some random parking no. structure because there were no. the other parking structures that got affected but sure. it was not um yeah like you said two planes brought down three buildings what happened
3: right and so it's it's kind of funny because initially World Trade Center 7 was not included in the initial missed report that covered World Trade Center one and two uh, which is very peculiar as you mentioned it's not just sort of an ancillary structure it's a 70 plus story in, in most, yeah. you know, in a lot of cities in this country, it would be by far the tallest building, right? yes It's a, it's a very, very big building. Um, and the thing about it is that, um, and this is actually in, like, if you go and watch the videos of them reading out the initial NIST report, they talk about how the fact that the planes hitting World Trade Center 1 and 2 and shearing off the fireproofing was a necessary element for those buildings coming down. In, in the absence of the plane impact, uh, those buildings don't come down. I mean, that's, that's the conclusion of the NIST report. Well, no plane hit World Trade Center Seven. So, what what happened? Why did it come down? Uh, uh, the fireproofing fell off. <laughs> that, I mean, that is basically their explanation: is that it was inadequate fireproofing. Um, and actually, you know, since then they have upped the standards. But I think that that's I think that that's very clearly uh, bullshit. It doesn't make any sense. The the um, you know, for a long time, they tried to claim that uh, some of the debris that were that came off of the first two collapses. Yeah, that
1: was the yeah that it was so, like it like started a fire and then it brought down the building. It's yeah, like,
3: and again, there was no jet fuel in that building. All that there was was typical office stuff: carpets, you know, cushions on desk chairs, papers, that, that that kind of stuff. There was there was no jet fuel. There was nothing else that would have caused a major fire. And again, what that means is if World Trade Center Seven is vulnerable to that kind of thing. Why don't we see... Because you have high-rise... Huge high-rise fires quite frequently. Yeah, There had been, been a number since 9-11. There were a number... I remember... Uh, I
0: mean, hell, Grenfell didn't fall down.
3: Right, precisely. And in, and in Philadelphia, there was that uh, tower in Rotterdam Square that was on fire for an extremely long time. Same stuff, same office stuff. It was never at any risk. And that's part of... I mean, you know, the reason the firefighters were so fine with just going in is they had no expectation that any of these buildings were going to collapse. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because it doesn't happen, typically. Um, so again, if if the explanation for the first two towers falling is that the fireproofing was sheared off, what is the explanation for World Trade Center 7? And the answer is there is none. Um, and there's actually witnesses that talk about perhaps
1: hearing calls for controlled demolition,
3: correct? There were, yeah. So there... And again, it's hard because, I mean, two buildings had just come down at this point, right? Right. So World Trade Center 1 and 2 had collapsed. So again... Everybody's freaked out. All the firefighters, police officers are all freaked out. Um, they, they certainly were saying that the building was going to come down. Now, who did they hear that from? Why did they think that? It's not clear. Uh, I think it's plausible that they just, I mean, two huge skyscrapers had just collapsed. Anything is H- possible at this point. Historical
0: right? materialism.
3: <laughs> <laughs> right. The engine of history. Yeah. Uh, but so so I don't. But that's but certainly yes. There there were pe- people seemed to know beforehand, including firefighters, police officers, that the buildings that the building was going to collapse. Um, the uh, re- recently, uh, the University of Alaska Fairbanks came up with this technical report, um, basically disproving the NIST explanation mm. for how this how this came down. Uh, which I encourage people to check out. If you just Google Alaska Fairbanks World Trade Center Seven, you'll you'll find it. Um, and again, I'm not an engineer, but this building also collapsed, at least for part of its collapse, at freefall speed. And you, mm-hmm. can, you can watch the video footage yeah. yourself. The whole, the, the penthouse, there's a penthouse on the very top. Uh, I'm making hand gestures, I don't know why I'm doing that. But there's a penthouse at the top well, of the building. Well, I think
0: people can visualize what top of the building means.
3: There's this, there's this penthouse that collapses initially, and then the entire rest of the top of the building collapses simultaneously. It all collapses at the exact same time, and you can look at this footage with your own eyes. NIST's explanation is that a single uh, column—I think it was column
4: Mm -hmm. seventy-nine—failed,
3: and that that precipitated this chain of failures. Um, That's not consistent with what you see, right? Then you would expect to see a progressive collapse. Part of the building collapses initially, yes,
1: right. But again,
3: uh, it's it's no—it's like seamless. It just. Straight it down. Just, it just goes straight down. And it literally and,
0: looks like an actual like controlled demolition. Yeah, see it does. Somewhere.
3: And for that for for a free fall to happen, there has to be no resistance. At least in mm-hmm. some the, the, all of the all of the angles, at least part of the building is obscured. So you can't tell what's happening in the entire building at the same time. But it but if any part of the building is collapsing at free fall speed, which it certainly is, the NIST report says that. That means there has to be no resistance.
1: Okay, at least so, some time. I mean if what we're talking about, it seemed, I think everyone... I mean, even, like I said, the 93 stuff and even, like, normal lay people that are not involved in truth or stuff agree that, you know, when you bring up Tower 7, they go, yeah, that was kind of weird, you yeah, know? Is,
4: but the real weird. question,
1: then, is why did that build... Who? Why, why would that building need to be ex- demolished?
3: Yeah, so there's a lot... I- so I mentioned earlier that there was this emergency operations center was one of the things that was in this tower.
4: Mm-hmm. And I
3: think if you wanted to really hamper the investigation, if you wanted to hamper the coordination, um, basically confuse the situation, that was, that's where you would, one of the things that you would hit, right? You would want to hit this emergency operations center. There's also a CIA office uh, Yes, <laughs> in this building.
0: And which was actually—it's funny because the CIA office—it uh, was not uh, advertised, I suppose, to the public as a CIA office. No. they were pretending to be another federal agency. <laughs> yes,
1: <laughs> yes. But they it were, also was like it was supposedly like the like largest and like a really important CIA station. Well,
0: it's where they—it's where they—it's where they basically conducted. So they say conducted uh, operations to like recruit basically foreign diplomats who were there for the UN. Mm, so right. you know, and uh, you know Fidel Castro's you know secretary or something. You know they try <laughs> right. to offer him five. They're like eighty fifth time
1: they him. try to kill him with the, by seducing the secretary. Oh, yeah. They're like
0: just I don't know, man. Just give him HPV or something. It's, <laughs> 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 um, Death yeah. by a thousand cuts. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, so that that's I feel like that's a pretty notable thing, right?
3: I mean, absolutely, absolutely, and we we talked we we talked I think last time about some of the financial weirdness mm-hmm. that was also happening.
0: Yeah, we had Solomon um, Brothers in there too.
3: Right, there was a Solomon Brothers, and a lot of their servers and things were located in that building. Um, you know, I mean, it's 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 unclear to me precisely why what obviously what was hidden in there. We don't know exactly. Right, but all, something it was, all, was. It was all destroyed, but something was. Um, and and this building, of course, collapsed. You know, pretty pretty long after it was at least I think at least a half an hour after the second tower collapsed. Um, so it happened quite a quite a bit after. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's I, you know not clear to me why this happened. But uh, they definitely they were trying to conceal something because I don't think obviously most people don't even remember that this building collapsed. Right. I don't think it was for the for the PR purposes that the rest of the operation was essentially.
1: No, and it's funny. I would sometimes I wonder if it, if it was not even related. Like it was just to kind of like well we're already down there might as well just <laughs> this out while we can.
3: Yeah, you know, like I say all these anytime you look at this stuff there's a ton of compartmentalization and I'm sure somebody got a hint from somebody something was going to go down and they said, "Hey, why don't we, you know, why don't we clean up a little they bit." They paid of our a couple dirt.
1: guys to come in <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. I mean I yeah, and I mean this gets into like how do they do this, which is like uh, Yeah. You know, how, right. How would they have how would they have rigged these buildings to blow? I, I don't know you know, I have no idea precisely how they did it. Obviously all of the evidence was destroyed and in fact the steel that was left over from these uh buildings being collapsed was sent uh sent over to China and it was melted down to be reused elsewhere.
0: So I, we don't I, even I, have my conspiracy theory on that is that's the steel they used to build the Bay Bridge here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's that would rule, actually. That would be amazing. They did import the steel that they just like hidden in plain yeah. sight.
3: Yeah,
0: it's part yeah. of it's a uh, it's it's actually it's the Bay Area buying into Belt and Road.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So, so you know, one of the one of the things um, there there is evidence there is some evidence that it was thermite, um, which is a which is a fairly commonly used. Uh, material um, that basically just burns extremely hot. It w- you would basically use thermite to um, to like cut a steel girder, which is what these the I, main structural I, element on these buildings. So are I actually
0: girders. have seen it. a I have seen thermite, both homemade thermite and yeah. real, I believe Russian thermite grenade in real life, and it yeah. is astounding. Like yeah, you can. It's, yeah. I mean, look up videos of this stuff. It is like. It's uh, it makes a lot of sense in this
3: context. I'll say that. Yeah, you can make you can make thermite out of stuff uh, that you you can get at Home Depot. Um, oh yeah. But the stuff the stuff I think they were working with so um, de- demolishing buildings uh, and and similar applications that, that these these things are used for mining is a very advanced science. I mean, there's people who yeah. are tr- trying to make better better and better stuff. Um, we talked uh, I think on the first episode about a company called Dresser. Uh, which is a mining and uh, oil services company that has been CIA connected for a very, very long time, connected directly to the Bush family as well. Mm. Uh, and they had patented with a company called Komatsu, which is a um, Japanese heavy industry mining company, uh, this nanothermite. And this is a real. You can go. You can go look up the patent for this if you want to. It's nanothermite. A, yeah, it's some kind of new. I don't know enough about engineering to understand it. But um, but this is what people. Have hypothesized was mm. used because they they uh, right you'd want to work with your buddies you would want to work with your buddies and there's again there's evidence of so people did air quality checks around Ooh. just independent people and found uh, part of uh, one constituent component of, of thermite is is aluminum mm. um, and so they found like these aluminum oxides that are consistent with uh, thermite having been used um, the other thing is just that the pile of rubble was extremely hot for an extremely long time. Uh, and this was remarked upon by just lay people, like, why is this so Why hot? is this still, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like smoking, kind of. Right. And, and to the point of people seeing molten metal, mm-hmm. um, uh, pu- when they would pull girders out, they would be uh, extremely hot. Again... That wouldn't have come from jet fuel, I mean, it, it, that just, come,
1: it would not have stayed that hot. I mean, even I answer. know that, and I don't know for, anything. And I'm
3: talking about, like, we're not talking about, like, out, like, months. Like, right. for months after, it was still extremely hot. Um, and again, that would be consistent with, uh, I mean, th- the way that thermite works is this oxidizing reaction. Like, that would be consistent with this oxidizing reaction still taking place at some level. Um, underneath all of this this pile of rubble. Interesting.
1: Um,
3: and there was really no... Ex- I, think, uh, I think Pataki was the governor, and they were like... Uh, this somebody, some naive reporter was asking him, like, why is it still so hot? And he didn't have a good answer, and I don't really think anybody really does. It doesn't make sense, given what supposedly happened to these buildings. Um, so I don't... Yeah, I don't have a theory about, like, how they break this thing to blow. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it seems like it could have been thermite, um, and certainly... Uh, a lot of the companies that were pushing the envelope forward on, on making thermite products for mining and, and building demolition purposes uh, had CIA connections, and, right. and those connections went way back. Yeah,
0: yeah, and and we know that they have, I mean, the CIA itself has certainly has extensive laboratories. Oh, yeah. And yeah. ways to procure this stuff, too. Yeah,
3: yeah.
1: I mean, we didn't mention one. I mean, we have to wrap up because we can. We could go for like two more hours, but we can't also. <laughs> We've already gone long. I just want to mention one crazy thing is that they're really, and th- this is just back on the hijackers, because this is the stuff where I was like, okay, I don't know anything anymore, which is were the hijackers even the pilots of the planes? Yeah. like, And I mean all of them. There is literally, yeah. there is photographic evidence of... Muhammad Atta and I can't remember who he was with, flying from Portland to uh, Logan Airport, Boston.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: That there, there is no photographic evidence of any of the other hijackers going through any security. There's like some witnesses that kind of remember, but really like not a lot. And in fact, at Logan, there were no witnesses to them basically going back through security um it's really and we mentioned that the pilot of uh the pentagon attack you know if if that is what happened as we mentioned like that that would have been a you know completely out the out of bounds of his skill set like there's just no way it was him or if it was the flight that he was on but there really is like no proof that these guys were even the guys that were on the flights <laughs> Yep. piloting these planes,
3: and there's not there's not a ton of evidence that it was Flight 11 and Flight 175 that actually hit the, the, the two towers. I mean, uh, very famously, somehow the black boxes were destroyed and not recoverable, uh, but they found these passports that right. somehow made it to the ground and were recovered, so that these hijackers jet were fuel identified. didn't
1: didn't catch those on fire. Yeah, so, <laughs> I, I know we've talked about this
0: before. I think we probably mentioned this a few times. Just it's such an astounding detail. They found the fucking passports of these guys. Yep. I mean, Jet Fuel was melting guys 90 stories down. Oh, excuse me. Yeah. Jet Fuel was burning people 90 stories down, but somehow their passports fluttered out.
1: Of the planes, out of their pockets? Well, well again, it I This doesn't mean, make any sense. It's so stupid.
3: Pr- presumably, they had their passports on them, or at least they yes. were in their luggage. But if I mean, let's say they're in the pe- they're in the cockpit with their passport on them, the cockpit voice recorder is also in the cockpit, <laughs> right, <laughs> or right near the cockpit. But that was destroyed completely, and somehow these paper documents survived. It just it's it doesn't it doesn't again it does not make any sense. It's well, so surely absurd. surely we
0: should be able to find. I mean, where are we? Should clearly have these black boxes,
3: right? right? I, I, I mean. There, it's extraordinarily rare the crash where these things don't survive. I mean, it, well, it, f- f-
0: you know, famously, I, my, myself and many of my colleagues have asked, "Why don't they make the whole plane out of the black box?" <laughs> but <it> appears <laughs> that if that was the case, then they would just lose it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, you know, the I I am I am a uh, I am curious in the idea that it was not these planes at all. That, yeah, that, that just piqued my
1: interest. Do you think that it was? Like different
3: flights, it, you know. I mean, I uh, at, at very least some of the planes had their transponders turned off. Um, at, at which point, it's quite easy to pull a switcheroo. I mean, you know, you just have to. Why fly would them. their
1: transponders have been turned off?
3: Um. Well, the I mean, I don't. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, <laughs> I don't. For one thing, I mean, t- these guys did not have. How they even? I mean, look. I mean, leaving aside like how they even flew these planes. Like, how did they know how to turn the transponders off in the first place? Like, it's not clear how they would have learned how to do that. How they would have gotten that knowledge? They um, have box cutters, so it's fine. Yeah, they somehow overpowered a, a ex marine pilot, even though the guy was like five. The hijacker was like five, the muscle hijacker, so called. And
1: they, like killed, five, they killed. They killed one of
0: my. They killed one of my colleagues of Israeli special forces too on <laughs> Flight Eleven.
3: <laughs> yeah, I, it's yes. So the the idea. Again, we really don't have a whole lot of evidence. Uh, I mean, the lack of evidence is kind of surprising. You would think that there would be more solid evidence that these people did actually hijack these planes and that the planes that impacted the buildings actually were the planes that were supposedly hijacked. And there just is not a ton. I mean, there is not a ton. And particularly the black boxes being missing and the passports somehow not being missing is is, uh, very, very strange.
1: I don't buy it. I don't buy one word. Uh eh, yeah, I'm, I'm convinced. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, anything yeah. else we should mention here? I mean, there's a lot
3: else that we could there's mention. There's like, yeah. I, I mean, I, could go on forever, but no, I think that does it for me at least.
0: <laughs> well, thank you very much. If you are listening to this podcast and you are still thinking that same old bullshit that you thought about 9-11 before, then I invite you to please uh listen to all three episodes again. <laughs> yeah, over definitely. and over until you agree with us. Uh but no, we are we'll we'll, we'll give you the links to the stuff we talked about. That History Commons yeah. site in particular. I mean, it is extensive. Yeah. And I invite everybody to do your own research on
3: this. Totally. Totally. And like, yeah. to
0: actually, do it to go in. And you got try to a lot of time right now. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. totally. You should try to solve nine <laughs> eleven. Well, here's the thing. I do want
1: to say, like, I I really love having you know having you on Ben to talk about this stuff because, and we heard this from some of our listeners too, is that like everyone thinks that 9-11 truthers are like cranks.
4: Mm, mm-hmm. It's like you're
1: a very well-spoken, you know, intelligent person. You're not a crank. If I may say so myself, but like. I mean I don't know I probably am but like you know this stuff is you know this is you know this isn't just crazy people st- like this there's so much here that does not add up in any way
3: yeah. Absolutely and and you know uh, we are we are definitely made to feel like crazy people for questioning the official story yeah. And obviously throughout history the official story has turned out to be bullshit time and time and time again with actual investigation and there's a ton of there's a ton of stuff uh, that that there's a ton of evidence we do not have. And what would be terrific would be an actual real investigation put some of these people like Cheney and Bush on the stand under oath, mm-hmm. ask them pointed questions about where were you at this time? What were you doing at this time? That would be great, and, and, you know, I'm not necessarily saying throw these people in jail immediately, at least give them, like, some kind of tribunal, you know, <laughs> exactly. uh, and, and figure out, like, what really did happen. There, there are yeah. so many parts and pieces of this that we don't understand, um, and and I don't think we will ever, I mean, I don't think that's, it's ever going to happen. No, it's like JFK, but,
1: you know? Yeah, um, absolutely.
3: I mean, like, I think,
1: too, it's like, as we kind of have been trying to lay out with this series, like, this event catalyzes or crystallizes so many important, uh, you know, like new developments within the state. Like it yeah. really is just a key moment in, you know, you know, in the last thirty thirty years. That you you know we can't understand um, American policy without understanding it, and that just furthers you thinking. Well, there had to be some reason for all this stuff. To, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely.
0: I mean, what I've always thought is 9 11. I mean, if they didn't plan 9 11, then these guys are fucking idiots because 9 11 <laughs> gave them every single thing they could have possibly won. 9 11 was 100% the best thing to ever happen in George W. Bush's life.
1: It's true. Absolutely. And Giuliani's. Absolutely. Oh,
0: yeah. 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 He yeah. still I traded
1: mean, on that thing. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. If 9
0: 11 hadn't happened, Giuliani would be in
3: a rest home somewhere. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: He gets I mean, to
3: skate by. You know, PNAC before they before the the PNAC cabal came into power in the 2000 election, they were talking about the stuff that they wanted this this new American century mm-hmm. needed needed a new pearl harbor. That was the language they need, they said. That yeah. we needed a new pearl harbor for these these things to happen. Uh, and that's, you know, less thing They than got a year. one. They got exactly that, you know. They got it. Uh,
0: and, Rob- and Robbie Martin has a documentary I believe on PNAC that I haven't watched yeah. yet. But I'm going to, yeah,
3: um, yeah. But
0: those guys are really—I mean, that is—that is some cold-blooded shit right there. Absolutely, yeah. Well, Ben, thank you so much for joining us. Your quarantine beard looks kempt. Uh, <laughs> thank your you. Your home looks well lit. Thank you. And uh, and and it's always a pleasure having you on. I'm just trying—I'm literally trying to think of excuses of what else we could do with you.
3: I know I was thinking about
1: that too. I'm sure we can come up I've, I've got
3: some ideas. I would love to talk, you know, JFK would be another great thing to talk about, but well, there's a lot of, a lot of JFK like a, people. the
0: thing is we need a JFK like symposium.
3: Oh yeah, totally. totally. Like we need there's we need like of,
0: all the yeah. heavy hitters on there, but that Absolutely. could be that'd be that'd be a Zoom call. Yeah. <laughs>
1: that would be a really fun live event if like live events could ever Happen mm. again. Just mm. us sponsoring a round table discussion about JFK or something. That could yeah. be cute. Actually, that yeah. that that's got me thinking.
0: Maybe maybe I know. sometime mid next year we can just fly everybody out to a fucking place cuz and people will come see us and then they'll be treated to 5 hours discussing the the Cowboys versus Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh Ben, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, follow him, by the way, at House Trotter. Uh, that's House and then
3: Trotter at Twitter. Yeah. Visit my site, HouseTrotter.com. Oh,
0: yeah. There you go. Uh, hopefully we'll not be taken down like so many of the <laughs> other websites. That- <laughs> Do you know how much I've used a fucking Wayback Machine in the past oh, yeah. week? Oh, yeah. My God. Um, and, yeah, and we'll, ho- we'll-, we'll hopefully talk to you soon.
3: Yeah, well thank you so much for having me have a good night guys See ya. See you.
2: why tell me now i must confess I'm not i'm not sick enough to guess dance dance revolution all we' are gonna get unless it falls apart
1: well, I'm convinced.
0: Uh, well, I'm, I'm, you know what I'm convinced of? Hmm. That uh, that 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 was a good episode. <laughs> but I'm also convinced that 9/11 was an inside job, and it is. Again, we said this at the beginning. We said this all during the episode, but please, please do your own research if you're skeptical. If you have knee-jerk skepticism, uh, well, ask yourself why that knee is a jerkin. <laughs> and maybe you're the jerk.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, we're do t- take your time. Check this stuff out. There's lots to read. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, you know, you learned a thing or two.
0: Well, we will see you soon. We will see you, uh, I believe, next episode, actually.
1: <laughs> yeah, real soon. Yeah. Um, I'm Liz. My name
0: is Brace. We're doing music and production by Young Chomsky. And uh, Liz, play us out, baby.
1: We'll see you next time. Bye bye. <laughs>
4: I'm